Hey, it's Pete Corelli here. Starting an independent developer studio or even working in one is a lifelong commitment to a creative vision with absolutely no guarantee of success. In this series by Game on Oz, we'll chat with the heroes of the industry, the ones who put it all on the line for a stranger they'll never meet to have an experience they'll never see. The highs are a proud stance atop a mountain of pixels, whilst the lows will leave you battered, bloody, bruised, and in some cases, financially ruined. Bank or bust, launch or lost, this is Indie or Die. and Void Bastards is something that we are just frothing at the mouth for, I think, for so many reasons other than just the name. But I am uh, I have the pleasure of being joined by Blue Manchu's art director, Ben Lee, on the Game on Australia podcast. Hello, Ben. Hi there. Mate. Very uh, happy to be here. I understand you've been on a bit of a junket the last couple of weeks. It worked, mate. I wouldn't call it a junket. <laughs> but, uh, no, I've been really lucky. Um, I did Xbox... Um, since partnering with them, has they've put on a lot of uh, demos of Void Bastards at various places around the world. So, uh, and the big one was at GDC, which was massive success for us in terms of um, you know contact with the press and and response from the public as well. Everybody just um, everybody was really really positive about the game. Which, when you've been working on it this long, uh, you're you're in a bit of isolation, so you're not really you're never really sure how people are going to react. So you expect that, you know, hopefully some people will like it and some people might not, but it was overwhelmingly positive uh, at GDC and then in um, in Paris and I just got back from Rest, which was on this past weekend up in London. Um, and that was a more public-facing sort of event. So I got to meet sort of punters as well as games industry people. And, yeah, it's actually, re- it's, it's really, I'm on a real high from it, to be honest, because, as I said, working on this for so long, you just got your head down. Yeah, I'm out of contact with everyone, and uh, yeah. Well, we'll, great. we'll come back to that because that's part of the process of being an indie developer, and that's what this is all about. And we're looking forward to talking to you more about your perspective. It gives us a bit of a different angle, considering you're the art director there, Ben, and, and really looking forward to mm-hmm. getting to stuck into that. But there is one question that's been on my mind ever since I came across you guys and was told, yep, we've got the green light on this interview. Blue Manchu... <laughs> Where did that name come from? Uh, John actually came up with that name. Um, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, that was a long time ago, this conversation happened. But, yeah, that would have been a better, better question for John. <laughs> but uh, it's, to do, it's actually to do with his family heritage. It goes back to Manchurians. Is so, that uh, right? Manchurians? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's like genuine Manchurians back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Many, many, many back in the days. Yeah. Days. But, um, yeah. Unreal. Well, look, at some point down the track, we'll have to catch up with John and, and talk to him more about that because that's amazing. Um, Void Bastards we'll get to very soon because there's obviously, just purely yeah. by the name, so many questions that I have. But I want to talk to you about um, the way that you started into this industry, mate. This is how we go with all of these guys on these particular yeah. podcasts. Take I'll us warn back. You, this takes a really this takes a really long time with me. That's fine. It's not, it's not simple. That's not a problem. Okay, we so, don't like um, simple and we have the time, <laughs> mate. Let's go for it. 
well, when I was just starting work, I think I was 18 years old, and I actually, 18 or 19, I guess, I was working, this, actually, this does relate, relate kind of to Void Bastards. So I was working on an Australian independent comic called Issue One when I was 18 or 19, and it's very bad uh, in hindsight, but at the time it was, you know, a teenager, I wanted to do a comic with my friends. And one of my friends uh, working on this comic with me uh, wanted to, uh, well, said that I could get, I could get a job at uh, Disney, Walt Disney Studios in Sydney. They had a TV animation studio there at the time. This was back in like, I don't know, 92 or something, 91. Mm. Um, so I wound up working at Disney for several years. And then from that, I, I, I did some, uh, uh, oh, God. I'm umming and ahhing now. I'm trying to recall. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. So I basically, I did a bunch of animation work, t- traditional 2D animation work. And to those born recently, that means using a pencil uh, to draw everything. It means using a Xerox machine to uh, get the, each drawing onto a piece of plastic. Then someone would hand paint that and someone else would use a film camera to photograph it. So you couldn't see if it had worked until all that had happened. Um, unlike today where it's all computers. So what I'm getting at is it was really, really hard and it was pretty unpleasant actually. But it was a really great background artistically for me and it was really interesting to learn traditional techniques back when people were still actually using them. So from then I got into sort of, uh, uh, it didn't pay very well, it's just it's the other short version of that story. Yeah. Like it was a great lot of training, it was pretty terrible pay. Um, Wound up a, a, a talking point would be I wound up doing some work on Ren and Stimpy, which was uh, later on freelancing. And, no way! Uh, I'm speaking to a bloke it, who worked on Ren and Stimpy. That was one of my absolute favourite yeah. shows as a kid growing up. What What's sort of funny is I did that for about a year, over 20 years ago, and it's more exciting than anything I've got to tell anybody about my games <laughs> career, which has been much longer than that. But. But yeah, I, I might as well mention it. Kyra loves to bust it out in public whenever we're talking to a journalist. So, yeah. Um, so I did that. But it's, you know, this is all this is all background. Um, moved into 3D animation, which is actually where I met Jay Kebers, who's a level designer on Void Bastards. Um, and this ties in again. So later on, I was uh, when I heard Irrational Games was making a game called Freedom Force. I was really excited about it because um, at that time in history, which is hard to believe in today's climate. No one had done a successful... No one had actually managed to publish a superhero-themed game on PC. Um, why why like was that, Ford. Ben? Why why had nobody been able to do it at that point? It was popularity, but it was also just bad luck. Like, a few people had tried to do it, but their studios had closed or they'd lost their... Um, something had gone wrong in production. It was known as the superhero curse. Wow. People wanted a superhero game, but it just kept not happening. Considering what we've and, had uh, the last 10 years with the Marvel Universe and then DC exactly. joining, you wouldn't even yeah. think that, that, I mean, these days, you simply put Marvel onto something and it's a hit. Yeah, but back then, it was, uh, things were different. Yeah. <laughs> and the interesting thing is that Freedom Force, um, it had something of a comic book presentation as well, which is, which is if you've seen Void Blasters, is exactly what Void Blasters has done. Um so it was it was kind of funny doing a comic book game again with John Shay. But he, it's my first game I did with him, and now it's sort of my most recent game, nearly 20 years later. Um, it's pretty cool. So anyway, working with Jay, and then uh, yeah, emailed Jay asking if I could be if I could get a beta test copy 
of Freedom Force. And he emailed me back in his usual J dry way saying, um, yeah, you can have a, a copy and, and do you think you could be art director because we need an art director? <laughs> Don't tell me it was as easy but, as that. Yeah. So that, and so I went, so then I interviewed, well, that's Jay though. Like Jay doesn't mess around. He's very matter of fact. Uh, and he, and he didn't make it sound exciting either. He was just like, yeah, we need an art director. Could you, would you consider that? So I came in and interviewed with John and, um, I was coming in at the end of that project. So I, while I was art director on Freedom Force, it wasn't from the beginning. Uh, it was sort of towards the end, but I did get to start on Freedom Force versus the Third Reich, which, uh, John and I were watching video, you know, videos on YouTube last time I visited Australia. And was that, uh, I'm, I'm still kind of proud of how that one looks. I thought that came out really well. Um, and because it, I was pushing very hard to make it as comic-y as possible. Like if mm. there was a choice one way or another, it could look like a comic. I was trying to do that. Again, Freedom Force was a little bit more limited. It, it hadn't really started out that way. So I was trying to steer it in that direction. Um, was, that so, more yeah, of a, so, was, was that more something that you yourself because i mean by the by the sounds of things ever since you were you know the age of sort of 16 17 18 getting stuck into this um stuff and and getting into the art side of things and you know you you speak about how you um launched a a comic book with your mates uh very early on and then this the whole comics theme appears to be woven through your life. So is that more of, of like a, it was a personal thing that you gravitated towards and you wanted to see that come out through your work in this? Or was it something where you genuinely believed this is how it should look because this is the future of it? Oh, no, no. It certainly wasn't the latter. It was, it was there's something I had always had an interest in. So the opportunity to bring that sort of knowledge that I had and enthusiasm that I had uh, when it was required, like it was being asked, you know, we were doing, Freedom Force was meant to be a very 1960s Jack Kirby looking project and that was decided before I was brought on so I was just pleased that I was able to sort of step up and Ken actually Ken Levine uh, who was one of the co-owners of Irrational back at the time um, you know he was much more into comics than I actually was in terms of current comics like we'd be talking about stuff for tribes when we were both working on that and he'd be um oh, Ben you know how in in the Chris Claremont run of X-Men this happened and I would just be like no, I, I never read that. <laughs> Sorry. And the, and the funny thing is, it's because I was more into 2000 AD. And again, that comes back into Void Bastards. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually really liked indie comics. In, in the, when I was buying comics in the 80s, I was mostly buying, buying uh, black and white indie comics. Like Ninja Turtles, before it became mainstream kids cartoon, was a pretty rough uh, black and white indie comic. And, um, yeah, a bunch of other stuff. Well, it's extraordinary but, to hear that um, the – and forgive my naivety on this because, I look, I, I read comics these days, but um, it's taken me many years to get to this point. But it's, it's crazy to think that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, who are so well-known for their individual colours, was at one stage mm. a black-and-white comic. And they all had – and on the covers, they all had red masks. Wow. There was, the colour differentiation only occurred when they made the cartoon version. Unreal. Um. You're supposed to recognise them. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was also a good idea. Like they were hard to differentiate, but you were meant to differentiate them by the way they, by their personalities and by their weapons. I think, yeah, rather yeah. than than colours. So, yeah, Jay got me to a rational. Worked there on the, the two Freedom Forces and Tribes Vengeance, uh, and then I, um, another guy that I used to work. All oh, this is a common theme. Every single time I've changed jobs, it's because someone I've worked with in the past has just hit me up and said, I am working at this new place. We need someone like you. Do you think you could do it? 
So that's a bit of advice for kids. Well, that seems um, to be that seems to be a common theme when it comes to the indie developers that I've sort of been talking to. And I think it's it's sort of when you work in media and entertainment, that's sort of the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, that's how I got my yeah. job, uh, like my current job in, in commercial FM. It was more around, hey, mate, I've moved over here. They're looking for this. Do you want to come over? Yeah. And that's why you want to work hard. And it sounds like a massive cliche, but... If someone says, "Oh, do you know anyone who's good who can do, you know, who can handle this?" You, you want to recommend someone that you know is a bit of a slacker. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's important to make a, well, at least be to be remembered well and as someone, as someone that you can get along with, yeah. is actually much more valuable than, sadly, is a lot more valuable necessarily than a bunch of training. No, well, it, it so, makes complete sense. We yeah. have a we have a saying in the, in. In um, radio, where you don't burn bridges because you just never know who you're going to work with next. And it's the entertainment industry, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of the same. So, um, what was I up to? So, yeah, I got an offer to work in the UK, which was a bit out of the blue, but um, it was a good one. So, I, I went and did that and worked on the Buzz franchise. I did all, I directed the Buzz games, basically, which were Sony PlayStation games, which were like a quiz show thing and had a big plastic buzzer that you pressed to answer the question. Yep, and it had the, um, the big guy with the guy smiley-type smile and the, the glasses and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's the one thing I didn't design, actually. That was decided before I started, and I was not allowed to change it, and I hated that the whole time. But, um, and that's Jason Donovan, by the way. D- that's Jason Donovan? That's his voice in all the buzz games. Oh, his voice. Yes, of course. I'm thinking yeah. the design of the, the guy that we're talking about. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not ham. We used to call him Hamhead in the studio because yeah. it was like a. So why why did you hate um, that design? Well, I hated it because it didn't match anything else in the game. Right. And I'm a big thing. I've got a big thing for consistency, and I really don't like unless it's really funny or there's a good reason for it. Uh, it, it bothered me that um, I wasn't a, the design of the host was chosen by a committee, um, and and sort of got locked in because I had to get a lot of stakeholders, as you would say, to agree mm. on it. Yep. And they agreed on that before I began. Um, and I was allowed to do, redo everything except that. And at one point, I actually wanted to make all the characters into Muppets, at least so that they all had this Muppet head and it sort of made sense. But that had already been sort of, yeah, it was it was very corporate in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so, But I, at the time, I was actually very interested in making the game because no one had made, a, the, 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 no one had made casual games at that point, really, especially for console. So the idea of it was this is a game that you can play with your grandma and your, and your, and your friend who doesn't play games, and they'll have a good time. Uh, and it was about getting people together on a on, – we used to actually call it sofa-based gameplay. It was about creating a situation on a sofa where you're all sitting around having fun playing this game together. And I was interested in that because at the time – this is like 2004, 2005 – that was actually pretty unheard of. Like those ideas existed within gaming, like Mario Kart and stuff, but they weren't they weren't really a design goal that people were trying to engineer, mm. and particularly trying to engineer a game for someone who'd never picked up a controller before presented a set of really unique challenges that um, I think I actually learned a lot from. Um, as a game developer, it's far too easy to just assume everybody's a gamer that plays your games. Um, so I think in the past that was probably true, and I think today you're making a really hardcore game it's kind of true too people are familiar with games more than they were but you shouldn't forget that there are people who aren't very familiar with games and you don't want to be you know if you can if you can not turn them away you've got somebody else to play your game which is always a good thing yeah so did that for a, 
up, I don't know, five, six years. And then eventually I'd, I'd kind of had enough of making buzz games and um, decided to go freelance, which was a bit of a, it was, a, in fact, after this potted history I've just given you, this was the first time I'd ever not had a thing to go to when I left a job, which was mildly scary, but I sort of figured I'd probably be okay. And why, hilariously, what, uh, what? Sorry, what? Because oh, that you know, this yeah. is a this is a, again a common theme that I'm having. Um, like it comes up, you know, that moment where um, it's almost like a, I don't know, it's almost like a fork in the road moment, you know, like you as a yeah. as a as a game developer um, or as someone who's part of a development team. Like it, it seems to be the theme that I'm finding talking to all of you guys that you know you start off um, in not comfortable jobs but in terms of having a job comfortable and then you get mm. to a point where you kind of go I'm going to make a leap here and some people do and, mm. and some people don't what is it what's what's that thing that drives you to make that leap for me it was um well, I don't have any kids for a start and so I don't have that whole mortgage kids thing weighing me down which um to be honest, makes it a bit easier for me in this regard. When I made this decision, I was only after making—I was only having to make this decision for myself. I wasn't having to worry about a family. So, um, but it was—it it was largely creative. I just felt like I'd been doing the, the same thing for too long, um, which hadn't really been something from my, like in my past. Every, even if I worked at uh, an animation studio like Mr. Big Cartoons, Southern Star Animation, we were doing different shows. So change had come about. I'd just done too much buzz and I wasn't really very interested in, in it anymore. Yeah. Um, and the company had grown quite a lot. So when I started, it was about a dozen people and it, there was a point where it got up to about 200. And once you get to that point, you need a lot of middle management and HR and stuff, which is completely correct. That's what you have to do when you're that big. But the studio wasn't... It, it, I didn't really enjoy it as much because of that that aspect of it. Well, I would imagine um, that the, the general feeling of the team would change, right? Like, because, of course, the dynamic of 12 people working together every single day is hugely different nothing from the... Like, di- nothing yeah. like the dynamic of 200 people working in the same building. Yeah. So um, I just found I was doing less art directing and more department directing. I was running three art teams, and that's fine, but I, I'm happier when I'm sort of concentrating on one thing. So there's nothing really wrong with it. I just wanted to, I wanted to do something more, uh, more personal, but I wasn't sure what it was going to be. Um, I think I was just burned out to an extent as well. Mm. Um, so I was really lucky that, uh, I, I mean, this could be slightly off, but this is how I remember it. Within a week, John, who I hadn't actually really spoken to for several years, like we'd messaged on and off, but you know, it's not like we'd been hanging out or anything. John just emailed me out of the blue saying that he was. Um, you know, he sold Irrational and he was looking to, he was able to start a new venture and he really wanted to make a, a, an independent game and you know, would I be maybe interested? <laughs> I was like, yeah, funny you should say that. I just quit my job. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe. And he wasn't quite ready to start. But my very my first freelance job was, that he, um, he told Ken I was available and uh, Ken got me to do some concept work for him for a little while. And w- when I finished that, um, yeah, we started doing Card Hunter. And Ken is... Which was, Ken Levine from Irrational Games. Gotcha. Thank you. Now, now I've got a story. Yep. Yeah, so, and that was 2010, and we've been doing Card Hunter and now Void Bastard since then. Great to work with John again. Like he's, I don't think he'd mind me saying he's my favourite person to make a game with. 
uh, on earth. He's an amazing guy. I can imagine, and look, coming from, you know, having worked with creative teams for, for 15 years, you know, it's, it's very important mm. to work with the right people because you bounce off each other, you lift each other up, uh, all that sort of stuff. So what is it about John that, that makes him your favourite person to work with as a creative and as someone who is so esteemed in that particular side of the industry as an art director? Well, I think the first thing is that um, now this is nowadays as opposed to when we first met. Nowadays, we've got a level of trust in each other where there's no arguments about not being sure about things. In fact, there's no arguments. We, all we ever do is discuss stuff. Um, I think we're both quite rational people as well, which helps. Like, um, we're both quite divorced from our emotions when we're discussing something uh, to do with game development, uh, which is a hard. A lot of artists really struggle with that, um, and a lot of I guess a lot of people do. But so we get we get along. We don't really argue. We sort of are coming from the same point of view most of the time, or if we're not, we it's an in, you know we think the other point of view is interesting and we take that on board. We've got a very similar sense of humour, which I think is actually really important. Like, I, I think our, our working relationship is, is actually really just based on that we think the same, we make the same sorts of jokes and we think each other are funny when we're in the office together. <laughs> um, but beyond that, John trusts me to a level where he doesn't second guess me and he's just quite happy to put the responsibility of the art onto me, which is not what you get in a large studio at all. You, you have a lot of people with their fingers in it and a lot of people... And, you know, again, they, they need to have their fingers in it because that's their job. You know, everyone's just trying to do their job in a big studio. Yeah. But unfortunately, that means 20 people making suggestions about the art when they're not qualified to do that at all because they feel like they need to. Um, so there's none of that working with John because it's just me and John. And, yeah, so I think the level of trust that we have is probably... Uh, specifically he, that he just trusts me to make good art is in, incredible. And most bosses wouldn't. It wouldn't even be smart to do that in most bosses' cases, I think, in this business. But um, I think when you've known someone this long, it makes a big difference. It's not like we just blew in off the street. Yeah, and it, it kind of blows my mind to hear that in a sense because I've always been of the opinion that you hire the right people and then you let them do their mm. job. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's, that's, that's almost opposite to how the games industry works in a large studio situation. That is incredible. Why, why is that? Is it, a, is it a making sure that, I mean, when you, I guess when you're working with 200 people, for example, you know, you have to make sure that mm. you're all working along the same line towards the same ends. You've got deadlines to meet, all that sort of stuff. And, and I suppose to, a, to an effect, you have deadlines to meet as well um, uh, in indie studios you can't be working mm. on a on a project um and not shipping a game for 10 15 years at, at some point you have to ship a game to make the numbers work but um yeah. yeah like why why is that in a in a larger studio it's money basically it's like people have got money invested and they're, they're trying to look after the money they've invested um which which i'm talking i'm really talking about the publisher but there's like different people within the pub there's the external producer and then there's the marketing team and all those people and they all have input when you're working on the large studio game. Um, and they probably should have input, but it means you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions and they're generally not really artists. So it, it makes it awkward. It's not like it's impossible. It just means that everything takes longer. Yeah. And that's why I really enjoyed indie development is that the result's similar, but it doesn't take three months of meetings and waiting for someone to go back from holidays to do something. Mm. I just chat to John and 10 minutes later, it's, I'm on my way or it's in the game, you know. 
and that's incredible as a as a game artist uh, compared to the former. As so, a yeah, as a game artist in that situation, do you find then that you are better at your job because? I suppose working along the lines of the creative process, if you get on a run, then you can just mm. keep exploring that tangent. Yeah. Uh, yes. I don't quite work like that, but um, I tend to more, I, my, my work process is more like I'll talk to John. John and I will just chat about whatever it is I'm going to do for a while so that I'm pretty sure I know what we need to do and what, um, when I, I'm being a bit vague. What I mean is, in my opinion, the key job of a video game artist is to convey the message of the game. It's not necessarily to look good. It's to communicate what the designer and, and the overall game needs the, the uh, audience to understand at that given moment. And I think if, you, if you're very clear with that, you're, you're doing good game art. Um, and then on top of that, if it can be pretty as well, that's terrific. But that's actually not your main job. Your main job is visual communication. So the first thing is to make sure that I understand what we're trying to communicate and, and sort of the mood and, and, and the actual information, like if maybe it's a health bar or, or whatever. And once I've got that sort of in mind, I just kind of, I'll iterate a little bit, but I'll kind of just do it. I, I don't really do a lot of um, to and froing on something and trying 50 different ways. I probably would have back in 2003 but once you've been doing it for a while it's you have it you get more of a sense of what well you should at least if you're not direct to have a sense of what will and won't work, what won't work um and i think setting the style early has really helped in void bastards like we just decided in fact before i'd done any art we had a uh jared john and myself had a, a one-week meeting where i came over and just stayed at john's house basically and we just every day we sort of planned out this game um, and I didn't have an actual art style in mind, but I, we did sort of decide, okay, it's going to look like a comic, and that's going to be the answer to whatever question comes up visually, the answer will be because it's a comic. So how come the animation was done in a particular way because it's a comic? Why are there sound effects written on the screen when something happens? Like, well, because it's a comic. And um, making that decision early made it much easier to, to develop the rest of the art style from that point on. Did you find that there were negatives in, in making that decision early as well? Like, for example, now that you had that filter, everything had to be filtered mm. through because it's a comic? No. Really short answer to that question. But I, no. look, it does, uh, it, it's fine. Like, if that's what it is, it's what it is. <laughs> There's no problems at all. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was in part a solution to the question of, can we make... John wanted to make a System Shock 2-like game. Now, after finishing Card Hunter, he wanted to do something really different and he wanted to do something sort of from his roots uh, and something that wasn't really in the marketplace. Like most first-person shooters have gone in a, in a very sort of story-driven direction, which is cool, and or either that or, you know, um, online multiplayer. Mm. And I play both of those sorts of games and I like them, but this sort of systemic, emergent gameplay, uh, heavily strategic game, didn't really exist, so I was very excited to, to, to work on it. So the first question, though, was, well, can we possibly even do it? Because we're only going to have three or four people working on this game, in theory. Is it possible to make a first-person shooter with that number of people? And my first response was just, well, no, you're insane. We, you need, you know, 100 people minimum to do something like that. Because I was thinking your traditional first-person shooter where it's um, th with 3D models. 
so I went away and thought about it, and I was reminded of games. You know, I thought, well, how did they do it in the past? There was, yeah, you know, the early first-person shooters weren't these hyper-complicated, five hundred million-dollar extravaganzas. They were much cheaper. It's like, well, my favourite games were actually like uh, Outlaws by LucasArts, which is my favourite first-person shooter back in the day, uh, and it's just made with sprites and 3D environments. Um, and I'm, my my kind of hope was that we could take that methodology and just apply modern tech to it so that we'd have high resolution sprites rather than chunky looking, you know, crunchy looking sprites. And maybe rather than trying to make it look like a cartoon, the, the, the comic would be better in a lot of ways. Um, so for example, I just described having sound effects like bang and splutch and stuff on the screen. That's actually an incredibly valuable tool for telling things to the player in a very clear way that you would otherwise have to imply in a very complex way mm. in a realistic-looking game. Um, and I actually thought that was very freeing, and it's really a delight to watch someone playing Void Bastards and they instantly understand what's going on because of the, um, the limited vocabulary of comics compared to realistic games, which have got surround sound and special lighting effects and, and so- fancy shaders. That's that's the thing, Ben. Take me through that process. If you if you did not develop the game that way, and you know you you didn't see on the screen the word thwack, um, yeah. Like what what would we be experiencing as a gamer otherwise in the traditional sense? We'd probably either have to come up with some sort of on-screen indication that that there was a sound nearby, and try and make it look like a hologram or a heart monitor or something, um, or do it completely through sound, which would be good, but it's a bit dangerous because different people have different sound setups, so you can't really rely too much on very intricate sound. Um, now, System Shock 2 had amazing sound, and it's actually what I liked most about it, is that you could, you could kind of hear what was going on around you by sitting quietly and listening in the game, but it was also very elaborate. It was based on the Thief engine, and um, I knew that we wouldn't really be able to do that so much. Uh, just because of because of time and audio. And at the time, we hadn't signed Ryan Roth yet, um, so we didn't have an audio person, so we weren't sure how the audio was even going to go. We just knew that it was we wanted it to be good. But we were very lucky to get Ryan on the project. He's done a lot of terrific indie games like uh, Necrodancer and uh, Stanley Parable, other games like that. Um, so having a good audio person on board was uh, was a real boon to us later on. But But early on, we didn't know. So we felt like, yeah, the simplest way to tell someone something is just to tell tell it to them, not try and imply it or nudge them or have it be something they have to work out. And uh, I really like how straightforward Void Bastards is to put to, well, not to play, but to, to understand visually because I try as hard as possible to just say it. If the player needs to know the airlock's over there, just put a big sign that says airlock and an arrow. Don't... <laughs> and teach them some way of discovering it because you know different 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 games have different requirements obviously if it was a, if it was a very in-depth um, atmospheric based game then maybe that approach that i just described would be better but that's not what we were doing we were trying to show the player how to play a lot of complex systems in a short period of time and have them enjoying those systems not worrying so much about whether or not their character's sweating or breathing hard or all the other stuff that you could do um before we move on, or go on rather, there's um, it's probably a question I should ask you in case there are people listening and, and don't know exactly 
what Void Bastards is. Can you explain to the audience what Void Bastards oh. is? What kind of a game? Well, we refer, we've been trying to refer to it as a strategy shooter, but no one really understands what that means. Yep, so, no. um, <laughs> what it is, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a game that's kind of got two, it's got two main places that you play the game. One is on the star map where you're choosing where you're going to go next based on how much food and fuel you have, what, you're, you know, what things you might want to get to, to build uh, your upgrades and your equipment. Um, and there's various encounters and stuff. So it's like there's a big space world map, which is the Sargasso Nebula. And then once you do an encounter, you go into first person and it becomes a first person shooter where you're running through one of these derelict spaceships, um, managing your oxygen, managing your health, uh, fighting monsters and trying to retrieve the uh, items that you need to, to build, build your upgrades and, and eventually escape the nebula, which is the goal of the game. So what makes that a strategy shooter is that the two, those two spheres I just described are always interrelated and they're always changing. So your actions on a ship will, will affect your decisions on the star map. And even while you're running around on the ship shooting, the knowledge of what you, you need to do next on the star map's in your head and it's, it's playing into your decisions from moment to moment. So you're, you're kind of always strategizing mm. but that strategy is always changing and it's always fluid and it's always being fed back by what's going on so it's not a grand strategy game where you make a whole bunch of plans and you see what happens it's kind of it's a continuously evolving strategy um and that's what i really like about it is that i don't think there's other games that are really like that so a, a really great analogy for, for a start point would be it's a little bit like uh, the XCOM games if you've played those yeah where there's a world map and you choose your mission and you go do the mission. It's a little like that, um, except that uh, it's first person and it's a star map and you've got more choice. And yeah, there's many differences, but that's the overall kind of feel that we wanted to go for. Um, does that, have I answered the question now? I know, well, I, I can really you go on about this. You're the art director on the game. So if you if you feel like you've answered the question, then we're happy with that. Look, as far as um as as far as what I know of it, yeah, absolutely. And I I, I love the fact that you guys have developed the game this way because as a as a as a player, it's something different. It's something unique. And that's something as as someone who's been playing games for, for thirty odd years that I genuinely crave, especially in a time where you know, every game that's coming your way seems to be a battle royale. So it's it's nice. Yeah, it's nice playing something different. Now, this I'm I'm expecting a very simple question uh, answer to this question, given what I I know of your relationship with Jonathan now and and the way that yeah. you guys are and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But the title Void Bastards, how did yeah. that come about? It was kind of a joke. To be that's the short version. What happened was it's exactly what uh, I expected. We had, <laughs> yeah, we had, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's the answer to a lot of questions. I love it. Um, but that's yeah, you know, we're in the business of entertaining people, so there's, that's not a reason to not do something. So we we our original title was actually Ghost Armada. That was kind of the working title, and that was a reference to that you'd be traveling from ship to ship, and they were all dead in this big spaceship graveyard. Um, but we kind of knew that it wasn't a terrific title because it sounded a little bit like Ghost Recon or the million games that have ghosts in them. And it also sounded, because of the word Armada, we were referring to 
a spaceship graveyard, but Armada's makes it sound like a, a naval battle game. Yeah. So it wasn't a great name, but we just kind of, we used that as our working title for a while. And then eventually we're sitting, you know, John was like, yeah, we've got to come up with an actual title. And the, the title that we came up with, that I can, that I will put the blame mostly on John for, was uh, False Light. And the reason was we were in a very nautical frame of mind at this point. We were kind of doing lots of old 17th century sea adventure and stuff when we were talking about how we would see in the game. Um, uh, like if you know, you're in the Sargasso Nebula and you're on shipwrecks, which sounds very nautical. Mm. And false, false lights were an actual historical tactic that land pirates used to use to get ships to wreck on shore and then they'd raid the wreckage and take all of the, the plunder. Yeah. Um, so it was a very historically accurate thing to call it and it tied into what we were thinking. But the, the longer we went... With that title, we realised that it, it just sat, it was a, it was one of those it was one of those video game titles which was a bit samey and it could kind of mean anything and if you didn't know the history that I just described it was just some words put together so um, and this was at a point where we brought Kyle Ellison onto the project to do the narrative or to direct the narrative which was something we only did halfway through we we kind of were hoping we could we're well, not hoping we were expecting to make a game that didn't really have. Uh, a story per se. It was just a game, a, a simulationist game that you played, and your actions kind of forged the story of your own path through it. But that's back when, at the same time, the, the prisoner was going to be just one person. Mm. It wasn't this succession of prisoners. So anyway, Kara joined up, and we we sort of talked about we changed a lot of things in the game to be uh, to shift towards. I'm, I'm getting I'm sidetracking here, but we shifted the game more towards black comedy rather than. Matt Damon's The Martian Sciency, which yeah. was how it started off when it was Ghost My Mother. Um, and John had n was just, he was the one pointing out, yeah, this, this name might be a bit bad now because it's, it's a bit dry and we're no longer really making a dry game. We're trying to make a more, um, I, I don't know how to describe Well, now I'd just say more Void Bastards game. Well, I, I, I guess the, because the, the thing that I'm getting from you, right, which, which I absolutely <laughs> love, is the fact that, um, the the general atmosphere of your development team by the sounds of things has had mm -hmm. such a deep influence on the way that you guys have gone about building this game and the image that you wanted to portray when you built this game. I mean, this, this game very much sounds like, and even the use of the term black comedy, this game very much sounds like an extension of um, the atmosphere at your development studio. <laughs> Maybe I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, I don't know, man. Like the, the things that the way that you're yeah, describing yeah. it, and you know, even the way that you guys came up with the name "Void Bastards," the the jokes and and the this and that, but we decided to run with yeah. it. And like, obviously, you know, I, like I'm there's there's a lot more depth to it than that. But from a very shallow perspective, and and it's mate, it's very cool. It's very amazing to listen to that. Well, once again, that's the joy of indie development when there's only four people involved. You can have a few conversations, have a few laughs, and then come to a decision. And you simply can't do that in large studio development. Mm. So for all, of, for all of the hardships of any development, that's, this is the part of it that I enjoy the most, is that you can rapidly come up with something that three or four people agree, yeah, I think that's cool, let's do it. And then you do it, and, it's, and it's, it gives the game a heart that you don't necessarily, that you have to work much harder to get in a, uh, in a, in a big-budget AAA title. So... Um, it's, it's, it's very punk rock is actually how I think about it. Yeah. There's a lot of 
punk methodology and how I kind of did the art as well. Um, so Void Bastards was, Kara actually wanted to call the game Void Arc Run because that's what you're doing. You're sort of doing these runs. And we kind of went back and forth on that. And she would, she, all of her suggestions had the word void in it. So we're sitting around, I just kept, and we're on a call and I was trying to come up with intelligent words that we could put after the word void. And I sort of ran out of ideas and just said void bastards. I was actually thinking you've been glorious bastards. Yeah. And I was laughing when I said it and Kara laughed, which she hadn't done at this up to that point in this conversation. And John just sort of went quiet. And then we, when we came back to it in a little while, like the next day or something, John had um, John had told me that he's, oh, well, I've already registered the domain name because I don't think we're going to come up with anything catchier or more indicative of the game than that. And I was like, oh, my God, I was just kidding, though. And it was like, yeah. There, there, were, more, there were actually more radio-unfriendly words that I'd used in that stream of consciousness as well. <laughs> but uh, Bastards was the one which would seem sort of appropriate. Plus, I would say... I actually forget to say this in your movies. It wasn't purely a joke. Uh, it was also that um, it's because it's it's a first-person shooter and it's a strategy game. It's kind of a bastard son sort of game. Yeah. So that was what I was thinking, and then the movie came up. Um, and I also really I love. Um, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. I love it when a, an art concept. It's up to the viewer to determine what it actually means. And it's not explicitly stated. So I like the idea at the time that it wasn't clear if you were the Void Bastards or you were fighting the Void Bastards or what. It was just there were some bastards involved. Um, and I still quite like that because it's the, the enemy, the, the antagonist in the game is not a specific person. It's not a villain. It's bureaucracy is the enemy. Um, and, the, and the antagonistic force which is trying to crush you. It's not so much any particular it's no one's fault it's just this horrible bureaucracy and i feel like and maybe that the, the bureaucracy is the bastard so, some sometimes yeah. you don't plan for this sort of thing um and it it just not magically happens because there's a lot of work that goes into it but it, it it fortuitously happens but that to me sounds like a a great thing to happen especially for your community because it would it would generate and drive a lot of conversation around the lore of the game online amongst the community who play the game. Well, I, and I personally, this is when people ask me about stuff like that. It's like, well, it's why I like the original Star Wars trilogy and I hate the prequels. It's because the original ones didn't explain everything and they left a lot of questions, which as, as a fan or an audience member is really fun because you get to think about that stuff and wonder about it and come up with your own explanations. Uh, whereas the prequels spell everything out and leave nothing to the imagination and are boring to me. Not everybody thinks that way, but personally, I, I think that um, fictional universes are richer when there are corners you, you don't specifically light up and you leave it to the audience to put their own personality into that. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's a responsibility that most big corporate studios are prepared to take because they want to tick all the boxes and cover all the bases. But it was more how films were made in the 70s than they are now, um, when the machine wasn't quite so finely tuned. And um, I'm old enough to think that 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 has value. So, yeah. Plus, plus it's memorable. That was the main one. It was like, well, this is the first name we've come up with, which is actually memorable. All the rest could be talking about some other game that you can't quite remember. And there's so many games released now, I genuinely have trouble remembering the names of them. 
um, especially when they're just like a verb or they're, they're a verb with a colon and then a different verb. Mm. And there's millions of them. Um, so this might not have been the smartest name for the game, but I think it's the most memorable name, and that's, that's very important for an indie studio. So wow. I'm quite proud of my dumb joke. Good. I, I'm glad. Um, because as someone who, you know, like consumes games, um, it's a name that stand mm. out, and I think it's something that you guys should be incredibly proud of. Um, look, before we let you go, mate, because uh, we are coming close to the hour, but there are a couple of just really quick rapid-fire questions I want to run past please, you, just please. your standard Let's stuff that... We do for everybody else. Um, best thing about being part of an indie dev team? Freedom. I'll do one word answers. I'll try. Yep, that works fine. Um, toughest thing about being part of an indie dev team? Money. And <laughs> <laughs> that also seems to be a common theme. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But I guess there's, I, I guess the passion and the love and the freedom balances that out, right? Being, yeah, so it's, having an uncertain destiny is, is very anxiety-inducing, but being the one in charge of it is uh, valuable to me. Um, again, I don't know if everybody would see it that way, but uh, at this point in my life and my career, it's, uh, I'm actually really grateful for it, to be able to work on something that I'm, I'm creating, not being told to create, really, and that I have so much creative control over. Um, I feel incredibly privileged. There are, there are a lot of probably much better paid, more well-known art directors who are currently sweating it because they don't have, they're not in that position, you know, so. And I guess at the, end, really of, at the end of a game like that, when it ships, you get to look back on something where you know that the, the finished product is something that you wholly had a hand in and your vision was executed. Yeah, and that's, that's very unusual to get the end of a project like that. I mean, it kind of helps that the art team is literally myself, Dean Walsh and Irma Walker. And um, Dean builds the 3D environment. Uh, Irma helps us both out. And I basically have to draw literally everything else. So when people say, oh, what's it been like making Void Bastards? It's like, it's been four years working at night, sitting on my own drawing. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been really, really hard. But it's also the it's the video game I'm most proud of in my video games career, yeah. and it's probably the thing I'm most proud of in my life. I'd have to say that sounds pretty crazy, but when you do put that much of yourself into something, you've got you have to basically give it everything, and that's what I did on Void Bastards. And I've got a feeling I wish I'd kind of figured this out earlier, um, but it was a huge risk. It was like, well, okay, what I'm going to try and do this time is I'm going to give it everything. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to basically burn everything to make this game. I don't mean my surroundings. I just meant psychologically. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to worry. You know, if, if, I, if it means not going out sometimes and seeing my friends, I'm going to do that because I want this, is, this one needs to be great. And it worked somehow. So um, I learned, if, I don't know if it's a good lesson because I don't know that sacrificing the rest of your life to make one thing is very healthy. Um, and I, yeah, but I'm really proud of what we got out of it and, and the work that we put into it. Uh, one final <clears throat> question here. And for those people that are listening to this right now, they may have noticed about, I don't know, maybe two minutes ago, they may have heard like a, a hang up, uh, like a phone hanging up in the background there. That's because 
um, Jim Barker, who's been helping um, to organise all of these interviews and putting us in touch with everybody, like yourself, Ben, has been on the calls listening to them. And um, he said to me that given where he was at at the time for this one, he might drop off. He's literally sent me a text message just then going, fuck, got all the way to the next question. Then my phone cut out. He's pissed because he knows what's coming. This is the final question for you, mate, before we let you go. Okay. What's your favourite part of the chicken? Breast. Finally, someone is there. My, yes. par- my parents gave me a lot of stick for that as a kid. Why? I, I would get hassled a lot. Well, because they were annoyed that I didn't like... The reason I liked it was because it was the most convenient part. So I, I just could cut it up and eat it. I didn't have to fiddle around with bones. And my parents were always putting shit on me for not wanting to get my hands dirty, which I, I don't think was a... A fair criticism, to be honest. I hate chicken wings. Chicken, chicken wings are the worst part of a chicken. Why do you even eat them? There's, you expend more energy eating the thing and cleaning your hands than you do energy that you get from the actual meat. No, wait, there I, you go. I, I don't mind chicken wings because I like yeah, the middle part of the chicken wing where it's a little bit chewy. I actually don't mind that. Like on a, on a roast chicken, I love that bit. Mm. See, that's how lazy I am with chicken. That's why it's a breast. <laughs> I just want to have to not deal with it. We had a lot of chicken too when I was a kid. And I wasn't. A, there's a point, right? So just give me the breast. I don't want to think about it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, mate, this has been um, an absolute joy. Ben Lee is the art director over at Blue Manchu. The game out is Void Bastards. Get along and check it out. But um, this is everything that we see. Go on. PC, Steam, and it's launching on Xbox. Xbox Game Pass and Steam for PC. Sensational, mate. Thank you very much. Um, This is everything that we've been hoping for uh, getting out of these chats, and and we've nailed another one, I reckon, Ben. We really appreciate your time on the Game on Australia podcast. Thank you so much for for the freedom of opening up to us about what it's like to be on this side of the industry. No problem. Thank you very much for having me.